Well, today we are uh, continuing in our journey through the book of Acts, and uh, we're still in the third chapter. Someday we'll get to chapter four. It may be today. So last time we ended right before the, uh, the end of the chapter, we were talking about Moses, and we were talking about how uh, Peter had uh, healed uh, a man who was lame, right? Uh, and, uh, and they were confused. They didn't know, uh, you know, what kind of power uh, does this guy have? What, what, you know, and so he gives a speech, and it's his second speech. The first one was in chapter 2. Now this is chapter 3. And he answers the question of where this power comes from and about Yeshua is alive and Yeshua is the one uh, who has healed this man. And, but he's, he's answering questions that he, I believe he anticipates. Like, how come we don't see him, right? Uh, if he's alive, how come we don't see him? Well, there's the, there's the invisible reality that he is uh, at the right hand uh, of the Father and that he's going to be there uh, until the day of the restoration of all things, but that he is alive. So he answers the question of, well, is, well, if he's alive, how come we don't see him? And if he's alive, how come the entire world isn't completely turned upside down, right? Uh, and so he says, well, when you repent and, and you come to believe, you'll experience times of refreshing, and then the day is going to come when there'll be the restoration of all things. But that he's basically saying that the Olam Haba has kind of inaugurated, has begun you know, and, and there is an invisible reality of uh, the uh, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and, and the presence of Messiah in our, our lives. And then he goes on to say, but this is not some kind of new information. This is where we've been, That's, right? This is not some kind of new, newfangled, uh, sizzling uh, theology that came off the press somewhere. This is rooted in the pages of the Torah. This goes all the way back to the, uh, to the time of Moses. Right, and so last week we talked about Moses and about what uh, Peter has to say about Moses. How Moses says in uh, Deuteronomy chapter eighteen that another that a prophet is going to come like me, and that you need to listen to him. And if you don't listen to him, there's going to be a, a judgment. So we talked about that verse uh, and in Deuteronomy, and we talked about how. In uh, the late Second Temple period, as we can observe, even from the book of Acts, or the Gospels and the book of Acts, that there was this person they were looking for called the prophet, who's the second Moses, this other Moses is going to come and deliver us from the Romans, is going to deliver us from all of the, the evils uh, uh, you know, of, of the world and so on. And so Peter uh, says very emphatically, very specifically, that Yeshua is that person, right? So he functions uh, as a prophet. And when you read that passage in Deuteronomy, we see that, you know, in its context, it's talking about all the prophets. But when Yeshua comes, he is like the culmination of all of those, uh, all of those uh, prophets. Just like, you know, uh, there were a varieties of kings. There were a variety of kings in Israel, culminating in Yeshua, the, the king. And so uh, Peter is making the point, remember he's speaking to Jewish people, that this is the, this is the one. And doesn't it make sense that, uh, that this would be so? And you know, in the Gospels, we see in a lot of ways how Yeshua is kind of like Moses, 
right? We talked somewhat about it, but remember, you know, uh, what did Moses do? He was the deliverer, right? People were in slavery and, and he brought them to freedom. He interceded for them, right? He prayed for them. Uh, he did miracles to testify of the, uh, uh, the reality of God. Uh, he gave them a vision of the future. He spoke words of truth. Uh, he gave them the Torah. He taught the Torah. He was a leader. He was a servant. He functioned as a king, and he functioned as a prophet, and he functioned as a priest before Aaron became the high priest. And so, uh, clearly, uh, in the life of Yeshua, I mean, think about it, when he's called, what happens? He goes into the wilderness. He's in the desert, right? And then after that, he begins his public ministry, and he's uh, on a, a hill. They call it the Mount of Beatitudes, but a hill. And he uh, teaches them the Torah. Like, very much uh, what he is doing is, is demonstrating that he is a Moses, Right, and last time we looked at John chapter 1 and verse 17, where uh, Moses uh, and Yeshua are compared, and, uh, and we looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, one place we didn't look, I'll just mention it, is the Mount of Transfiguration. That's another one, uh, where Yeshua uh, is on the mountain. Remember Moses' face shone when he was on the mountain, right? Uh, and so Yeshua is glorified on the mountain. And Moses shows up, by the way on that mountain. And I said last time that almost every time Moses is mentioned in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, that it's always in relationship to Yeshua, Moses and Yeshua. But sometimes, uh, very well-meaning Bible uh, scholars and pastors and others view it as, oh, you see, Moses was this. Moses was so deficient, this is Yeshua. And that is not the tenor of any of those passages. The point of those passages is that Moses is like way up here. And then Yeshua is like way, you know, so way high up there, right? Uh, that Moses is held in great reverence uh, because it's in the New Covenant. It talks about all these great things that he did. And then we see, oh, but Yeshua is like beyond. And so uh, Yeshua is, is not like saying that Moses was no good, and so now we have Yeshua. No, it's like, wow, Moses was, was leading, has led us, and now Yeshua comes and moves us forward. It is not any kind of depreciation of Moses, but it is talking about how, uh, how great Yeshua is. And that is certainly, this is how to speaking to the Jewish world, the presentation of Yeshua needs to be. Not like, you know, here's the good news. Moses is bad. Everything Jewish is bad. You blew it. Your people blew it. And now you can, now you can join up with us. That's how the message gets received sometimes. Uh, uh, let's just say that's not good news for Jews, Right? Uh, the good news is that, wow, God has sent us like Moses again. Another Moses, but a greater Moses. The very identity of Hashem. And he not only gives us the Torah, but, but he realizes it within us. He is indeed the prophet with a capital P. You know, uh, and, and so that is how Moses is indeed presented. That's why, what did Yeshua say? If you would believe Moses, you would believe in me. 
he holds Moses in very high esteem. If you would have really believed Moses, you would believe me. Okay? And so that's where Peter is uh, kind of headed here. Okay? So now he goes on here and he says this. And we covered this a little bit last time too. He says, um, Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken, this is in verse 24, Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Okay? And we said last time that uh, when the prophets announced these days, almost always it was in relationship to either David being the king, another David coming and being the king, or the new covenant. And so we saw last time how Yeshua is uh, a greater David, is, is, uh, is the son of David, who is indeed the king. And, you know, just a little aside, it's interesting when we read here that Peter speaks about Moses, and he speaks about David, and then he also speaks about Abraham. Uh, you, you know, uh, because when you read in the book of Romans in the fourth chapter, uh, faith in Yeshua... So here in this chapter, it's like Yeshua is in relationship to David and Moses, you know, the prophets and Abraham and so on. In, in the Brit Chadashah book of Romans, letter to the believers at Rome, when he's talking about trusting in the Lord, he uses Abraham and David as examples of great trust. And, and I think that's kind of interesting because if you were to ask uh, people, well, you know, who are the, who are the greatest uh, Jewish people in, in Bible history? Bible history. You know, who, who do you think of? You think Abraham, you think David, you know? Like most people aren't going to say Lot, you, you know? I, although uh, we had an interesting conversation about Lot, I think, in last week's Torah study. But uh, uh, most people aren't going to think of um, uh, Absalom. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it's the, who, the great ones of all. Most people don't even think of Hezekiah or Josiah, but that's another story. They were great kings. Uh, but you think David, you think Abraham. These are the five stars, you know, right there. Uh, and so uh, here we see Yeshua is identified along with them. That's very, very important. And you know, um, the first time I ever read the New Covenant ever in my, in my whole life, the first time I ever, I ever peered into the pages of the Forbidden Book, uh, you know, I was expecting to see St. Peter, St. Paul, this, you know, uh, that, I see the first thing I read is about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, that was a big deal to me personally. That was a big deal to see that this relationship to the to the people in my heritage and faith tradition that were so powerful. And you know, here's another one, by the way, and it's going to come up in a few chapters. Like, so next year, well, probably literally next year, okay? Gamaliel, Gamaliel, as he's written, Gamaliel, that was huge to me. It was He is a major, he is a heavyweight sage in, uh, in Judaism. And to see him... Uh, and well, when we get there, I'll tell you all about it. But that was like, wow, that made, that gave me the sense that, well, it wouldn't be so bad to read this. You'd be surprised the things that are so uh, very important. Okay. 
And so, in a way, that's what Peter is doing here. By invoking the prophets and Moses, this is, this is where this comes from. Even though you're seeing things take place that you never thought you'd ever see, it is rooted all the way back in the Torah, in the prophets. Okay? All right. Uh, then he says this. And here we're, this is where we're at here, or where we are. I hate those dangling prepositions. Okay. He says in verse 25, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So it's not just about the verse in Genesis uh, 12 here that is so dynamic. Because when you read it carefully, it starts with, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers. Okay? And then he, then he says, uh, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is certainly very, very uh, important to us because first he's saying, you are the recipients. You are the prophets. These are your prophets. You are the children of the prophets. You are the child of Abraham. All this was written to you. And as Paul says in another place, it's like, unto you the end of the ages have come. You know, you've been reading Moses. You're reading the prophets. You know about King David. You know about the, the promise of the Olam Haba. You know all of this. You're not ignorant. This is not like going to the nations and, and uh, trying to explain who the God of Israel is. They know the God of Israel. And here these are the people who are waiting for the Messiah to come, like any Jewish person, right? Uh, and he says... Now the time has come. You're the children of the prophets. You are the children of the covenant. Wow. This is, and it's happened right here in Yerushalayim, right here in, uh, in Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, and so then when he says, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he's saying two things here. I'm going to suggest he's saying two things here. One is, that Yeshua, of course, is the seed. Yeshua is the, uh, is the Messiah. He is the promised one, just like he's the, he is the promised prophet and he's the promised servant, uh, uh, the promised king, as he said. Remember how we have to refer to chapter two yesterday, right? Uh, that, but he uh, is the promised seed. But I think what he's saying here is not only that, but you have a calling on your life. You are the remnant of Israel. You are, all of this has come upon you. As sons of the prophets and sons of the covenant, you have a calling to be a blessing to the nations in the Messiah who has come. That's why he says, right after he says, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed, for you first God raised up his servant. So the whole thing at the end of the speech is not just, here's some Bible verses uh, that, that point to the Messiah, but he's saying, this is, has come to you. And this is so true, that when we receive Messiah into our life as, as Jewish people, you're, we're the remnant of Israel. We are the, the people who to take the mantle of the prophets and of this message 
to be a blessing to the nations. Outside uh, of the Messiah, ultimately, we can't be the, the blessing. But you know, it's amazing because even in the coming of the Messiah, that did not exhaust Israel's calling. And so, amazingly, in the grace and mercy of God, even to this day, as Paul explains to us in another place, that God has his, he still has his hand on Israel, on the Jewish people. And when you look at the percentage of Jewish people in the world over the course of centuries, and you think of the contributions to mankind, it's an inordinate amount of contributions given the percentage of Jewish people in the world. That comes from God. That's a God thing. See? But how much greater, when we talk about in, in, in the spiritual realm, in the invisible real world of, of God's kingdom, uh, how important it is that he's saying that he's come to you. And not just come to you first in terms of like chronologically come to you first, but he's come to you like primarily as the seed of Abraham to bring blessing to the world. And of course, Yeshua is the primary seed. We see, you know, uh, it is, uh, it's interesting that first in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, it says that through a Abraham uh, would be a blessing. Here it says uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, in verse 3, And I will bless you and the one who curses you, I, uh, you know, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, in Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then this gets repeated in several different places. In chapter 18, for example, it's repeated. In chapter 18, in verse uh, 18, okay? Uh, in uh, verse 17, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become great and a mighty nation, and, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So you have a repetition there. Then you come over to chapter 22 in verse 18. Now you have something is added, to, a little more information is added. And this is at the end of the Akeda. This is at the end of the great moment of great faith and trust of Abraham and Isaac where you know, he takes Isaac up the mountain, he knows he's coming back with him, and God provides the lamb. You know the story. Then we read here, and in you, and in your seed, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Then I, we read uh, again in... Uh, in chapter 26, this is a kind of a helpful place, and I, I won't take the time. There, there's several of them, but, but here in chapter 26, in verse 4, this is very important, where God is uh, speaking uh, to Isaac. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Here, this is repeated to Isaac, okay? Then it's going to be repeated also to Jacob in chapter 28, okay? You can read it for yourself, right? Uh, and, and then we know that, that Jacob has 12 sons, 
And we know that the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, which means the descendants of Jacob, basically are the Israelites who are called to be a blessing indeed to the nations. When Yeshua comes, he is the quintessential blessing to the nations, but he comes to restore Israel so Israel can be the remnant to bring blessing to the world. That's why he says this. You are the sons of the prophets. This is why we read, for example, in a couple of places, in um, uh, Romans chapter 11, in verse 12, it says, Now if their transgression be riches for the world, and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I magnif- uh, I'm an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry of some I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, and save some of them. And he doesn't say that because I'm related to them and I really want to see their well-being. He understands this great truth that for if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? See? And so the ultimate reality of the new world, of the restoration of all things, in, in the mystery of God includes the restoration of Israel. The restoration of, of Israel. And that is what Peter is driving at in Acts chapter 3. He has gotten that from the first chapter of Acts when all the apostles say, are you going to restore the kingdom now? To Israel, And he says, no, what's going to happen is uh, the Ruach is going to get poured out and you're going to be filled with the Spirit and empowered and you're going to go all over the world and share this message, this good news message. That's what happens. And in God's time, there'll be the restoration. So Peter, now in, chapters, in chapter 3 especially, he, this is how he understands that. And so like the man born, the, man, the lame man and, and other miracles all attest to the fact that Yeshua is alive and we're bringing this message around the world, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the remotest part of the earth. That's our calling now. And there will be the restoration of all things. And he's saying to these Jewish people, but you need to believe. You need to believe. This is what God has called you to do. And you know, it's interesting also in 1 Peter, you know, 1 Peter is a very interesting book, and uh, I will say this. It is po- this is how you say it. it is possible. So I'm not saying this dogmatically, and lots of people don't agree with this, and it, I could be wrong on that, and that's okay. But when you read the beginning of the letter of 1 Peter, the very beginning of the letter, when it says, Peter, an apostle of Messiah Yeshua, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay, uh, You know, I'm not sure about this, but I think the word chosen is actually much earlier in the sentence. Uh, it, you know, in, in Greek, I'm pretty sure of that. But it's interesting that he uses the word diaspora. He uses the word diaspora and who are chosen. And then farther down, he uses phrases and categories of, uh, you know, a choice stone, a cornerstone, priesthood, things of that nature. Uh, so it's very interesting. Uh, you just got to wonder, are those people here, are they all Gentiles? Is he writing to a mixed crowd? Is he writing to primarily to Jewish believers? Diaspora is, is a word that is used to describe Jews living, 
living out of the land, you know? So it's an interesting question whether he's writing it to Jews or not. No, you know, I, I'm not saying dogmatically anything. I think it's just an interesting question to ask, especially when uh, you read uh, in uh, chapter 1, in verse 10, starting in verse 10. As to this salvation, the salvation that he's described, you know, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. It's just kind of interesting that here in first he's invoking the prophets of Israel who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Kind of sounds like he's talking to Jews. Interesting. Made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Messiah within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Messiah and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So basically what he's saying is, boy, you know, the prophets prophesied about the day when this would, when this would take place. And they knew that they weren't talking about themselves, but a, but a day to come. And it's you're the recipients. The day has come, you know? And that, what that kind, I think what that says to me, and by way of application to all of us, because uh, there are other places where Paul is clearly, like in 1 Corinthians, where he's clearly writing to people who are, generally speaking, not Jewish. He says uh, there in the 10th chapter, upon whom the end of the ages have come. And he relates the wilderness wanderings to the experience of all believers. So, uh, you know, so we need to get that. But I think it's very interesting that Peter in Acts 3 and Peter in, in the letter that he wrote in 1 Peter seems to be saying, you have this destiny, you know? You have this destiny. And I think a, a big problem in our, in our Jewish community is a lack of understanding destiny. We think in terms of survival. What do we do in order to survive, you know? But I think a big, a very important part of Jewish thinking goes all the way back, starting here, about we have a destiny. We're called to be a blessing to the nations. And here God, he, he sent Moses, he sent the prophets, and now here we are thousands of years later. God is alive. The Messiah has come. He's alive. And we're receiving this. We have a destiny, of being a blessing to the nations in Messiah. And when we think about ourselves as a, a congregation, doesn't matter if we're Jews or we're not, you know, Gentiles, no matter what we are, we are part of this Jewish entity, which, which, which is like saying, I'm, I'm joining with this calling. And the fact is, is that all Messiah followers, whether they have any idea of it or not, are coming under the crown of the King of Israel whether they're Jews or not, right? Are coming under the crown of the king of Israel, and therefore every Messiah follower is part of an entity that has this destiny of living out the kingdom of his beloved son now, right? And not fixing the domain of darkness, right? But living out that destiny now. This is what Peter is saying. Well, you know, can you imagine those people? Think, the prophets look forward to this, but we're the recipients of it. Wow. That's something, right? 
And so when now when you go back to um, Acts here in chapter 3, so now having invoked uh, the promise that God made to Abraham about Yeshua and the calling of Israel, uh, speaking about the prophets, speaking about Moses, he says here, for you, first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you. Okay, let's stop there. For you, first God raised up his servant. So what happens here, he calls him servant in verse 26, uh, and he calls him a servant uh, in verse 13. Okay? Uh, the God of Abraham, in verse 13, it says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Yeshua, the one who you delivered up. And now in verse 26, at the end of such a very lovely little thing there, right? Uh, at the beginning of the speech and at the end of the speech. For you first, God raised up his servant. Right, And so he's accentuating this role of servant. And frankly, just like Israel is the seed of Abraham, but Yeshua is the seed, and just like Israel is the servant, but Yeshua is the servant, and just like Israel is called the son, Yeshua is the son, right? I could keep going. You know, and just as Israel is called the vine, Yeshua is the vine. Okay, And the reason for that is, it's not to say that the calling is over, but Yeshua came, it's significant that he was a Jew. It's significant that he comes as one of the Jewish people to redeem the Jewish people to be a blessing to all the world, right? That is, that is all the way through, that, that is a thread all the way, all the way through. And Peter is really bringing this out. And that's why he says, for you first, this is kind of like Romans 1, you know, uh, that uh, where it says to the Jew first, and, you know, and also to the Greek. It doesn't mean chronologically. It means to you, in a sense, primarily and to the nations, because the promises were made to you for the salvation of the world. Uh, and so that's why Paul has to answer the question, if they're rejecting it, how is this? how can this be good if Israel is rejecting the message? And so Paul is explaining that, by the way, all the way through Romans. <laughs> okay? It's like he's explaining it all the way through, but it gets very much accentuated there in, in uh, chapter uh, 11. Okay, so he says, For you, first, God raised up his servant and sent him. Uh, I would suggest that raised up here means like he sent him. You know, not, not just raised him from the dead, but he sent him. He raised him up to bless you. But also that he rose from the dead, okay, to, and sent him to, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. He came to redeem Israel. This is why it's good news this is the context of how it's good news for Israel that he came to redeem us. He came to make us the people who he created us to be so that we as Israel could, could fulfill our destiny. It's the unseen real world of the, of the messianic king. And do you know that in rabbinic theology, this is so interesting, there is the invisible kingdom. Did you know that? Yep. In rabbinic theology that there is, a, there is a visible kingdom and there is an invisible kingdom. 
and the invisible kingdom are those who live and proclaim the Shema from their hearts. Uh, and it, it, in fact, um, I, I have a book by Solomon Schechter, Aspects of Rabbinic Theology, and he talks about the national kingdom, the universal kingdom, and, and so on, and, and he speaks about this invisible uh, kingdom. So, not that he's exactly right, but you see, he's coming from the same scriptures, so to speak. So he's kind of like in the ballpark, but not quite hitting the home run. See what I mean? Uh, but Yeshua gives clarity to all of this through, uh, through himself and uh, the uh, apostles. But there's a little bit more to this when he says, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning everyone from your wicked ways. You know, it's kind of interesting when it says, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. That's kind of an interesting statement. So what he's saying here is, is that, you know, when we come to embrace Yeshua, it's not just us being convinced of something. That God is at work when we first hear the message, or even before we first hear the message, God is at work. Because what did Yeshua say? That nobody, nobody, it's in John, uh, I believe it's in chapter 6, can come to the Father unless he draws them. Unless he draws them. Actually, uh, the word means like drags them. Unless he drags them to himself, you know? Uh, and I think that is a, a very important. Think about your own personal testimony. Uh, I'll share you again. I shared with you a moment ago about reading the New Covenant for the very first time uh, and seeing, you know, names that, that were of my people and belief tradition and all that. But, but also, there is no logical reason, in my, just me personally, my own subjective story, there is no logical reason why I would have entertained the thought of believing in Yeshua. You know, it wasn't like I was in a really bad place and someone just reached out. I was real vulnerable, you know, and somebody reached out to me. And so there it was. It could have been Buddha. It could have been Allah. It could have been something. But, oh, it was Yeshua uh, because I was really vulnerable. No. I mean, I was going to college. I was just your absolute typical college kid. Great family. Wonderful mom and dad. You know, uh, and semi-involved. I was not a, I would not call myself a secular Jew. But here, somebody tells me about the Messiah, and I start thinking about it. May I suggest that there's, that God is at work in all and every opportunity that we have of sharing the good news, that God is at work. It's not just me selling something and somebody buying it. God is at work in all of it. You know, and that's our destiny. He's called us to be, to show up, right? And, and to have eyes open and, and to always be ready with a word because God is at work in people's lives and we don't even realize. We may have a significant role to play at the end of the, their journey uh, of uh, receiving Yeshua or maybe it's at the beginning of their journey. But God uses all of it to draw us to himself. That's what he means when he says, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. See, our response is repenting. Our response is repenting. But God is at work in it. It is not just, okay, I'll believe it. Okay, sounds good. No, there's a spiritual thing going on the whole, the whole time. 
Okay, so just uh, uh, in, in finishing up here, so I've been saying, see, this is how it's good news for Israel. So you'd think then, okay, then since it's good news for Israel, then Peter gives this yesterday and today, so to speak. He gives this unbelievable message, and this is right after the Ruach is poured out. We're like in the same week, you know, that everybody's going to, who is going to reject that message, right? This is fantastic. Well, what happens is, on the ground, on the ground, people are thinking about this. And thousands of people are, are coming. But this becomes a threat. And what happens? At the beginning of chapter 4, it says, And as they were speaking, the people, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard uh, and the Sadducees came upon them. Uh, <laughs> the brass, if you know what I mean. Right? being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection of the dead. They're greatly disturbed at this because they see here that the people are following this and they find this to be very threatening. And so what happens? And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day. Well, we'll stop there. But so we see that... Even in the most perfect situation, in what we might call the best way possible, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be. The lack of persecution is not an acid test that I did a good job in sharing the message. May I suggest it's the opposite? Because we're talking about not the domain of darkness, but the kingdom of his beloved son. And by its very nature, it is the antithesis of the power of this world, okay? So just remember that, that if you are sharing the message with a Jewish person, a non-Jewish, whoever it is, and you receive some uh, blowback from that, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged at all. God is at work, all right? And so, of course, Acts 2 and 3, as, as well as chapter 7 in Peter's speech and Paul in chapter 13, are messages to Jewish people to put aside all your preconceptions about what you think about Yeshua, what you think about Jesus, and listen to this truth right out of the pages of the Brit Harashah. And may we all realize that Yeshua is good news for Jewish people. Let's pray. Uh, Lord uh, God, uh, thank you uh, for uh, these words from Peter. And Lord, thank you that uh, upon us the end of the ages have come. Lord, may we be able to look past things like, you know, I need a new car and my shoulder hurts and, uh, and I need a job. And Lord, those are all important things, God. But may our faith not stop there. But may we be able to look farther, farther down and see a, real, a destiny in our calling. And no matter who we are and no matter what our personal situation is, Lord, as Dolores shared, uh, Lord, you are alive and you are at work. And may we all be able to be like Dolores, Lord, and recognize, God, that you are at work in this world. And when we share it with others, that is a powerful word, God. And uh, uh, Lord, I uh, may, uh, God, uh, we see fruit in those labors. May we always have our eyes open. May we always be ready. 
may we always realize, God, that uh, every opportunity is an appointment that comes from you, Lord. And may we realize that no matter what little word, whether it's in the line at the grocery store or in a doctor's office and wait, you know, in the waiting room or wherever it might be, whatever word we share, Lord, uh, uh, is, uh, is coming from you and that you are drawing people unto yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to this great priestly work, Lord. We thank you in Messiah's name.